listening to America's Web Radio. And now time for the Classic Car Show with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. We've got Mr. Jim Weber in the studio with us and Mr. Steve Ronaldo recuperating from a little test. (laughs) (laughs) And with our laugh, people that have had one of those, it's always the night before that's the worst, but somehow Steve's made it the day after that's the worst. So I I don't know how how somebody can do that. But anyway, uh, Steve's recovering from the laughable test. You know, if I recovered from anything, it's that drinking. That's all I can Oh, movie prep? Yeah. Well, (laughs) Dave, um, the humorous uh, columnist from the Miami paper, Dave uh, Barry, Dave Barry, wrote the funniest article about that. And uh, I still laugh about it and reread it every once in a while. So, yeah, he's he's good. And he's uh, getting ready to leave early next week to go to Ocala to the first national meet of the year in the AACA down there so and this has got to be probably I'm going to guess 150th at least uh, show that he's judged and he usually judges the sports cars which he knows real well and does a great job with those so well we wish him the best yes and, uh, yeah and he's going to be busy this year because he's he's talking about going out to the uh horseless carriage annual event in Oklahoma and then going up to Chickasaw to the uh, 1916 and earlier brass uh, flea market. And he's going to Amelia? He's going to Amelia? I mean, he's just, boy, he's getting to be a real vagabond. (laughs) He is, and uh, I I would assume that his lovely wife is going with him. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, that well. Keep him out of trouble. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, or try to keep him out of trouble. Yeah, try is a better word for it. That's true. But anyway, we've got a great show lined up today. Uh, you know, we, we sort of brushed by it a little bit um, last week, and we've got a gentleman, Bruce Shaw, who is an attorney and specializes in in fraud in the, the car uh, industry. Car collector and, fraud. Yeah. Um, I'm anxious to talk to him. Yeah. It, it should be. Uh, we're going to get him on the line about 8.15 and... and um, you know, I uh, we've had some uh, guys on that uh, uh, they specialize in hacking websites, and that's that's their business. And, and companies hire them. Uh, companies will hire a guy to build a website or do this or do that, and and put in the firewalls and all the other bomb bursting away, whatever they do. You know, yeah. I don't even know all the stuff. Yeah, but they'll hire these guys then to see if if they can hack into it and 99 out of 100 times they can hack into anything they're vulnerable you know? wow. yeah but the, what these guys have mentioned in the past and and i'm i'm sure and you know you hate i hate to be such a cynic but it today it's hard not to be but i'm sure for every every catch or every way that you can catch someone doing something illegal or fraudulent with a classic car for every method you have to catch them somebody else like these guys the hackers have said that that the people the illegal hackers right stay about 
anywhere from two to six months ahead of the guys trying to catch them. That, mm-hmm. that they're they're just constantly coming up with how can we right. how can we hack into right. and I'm sure this is true with the. Uh, well, the, the fraud and stuff involved with uh, classic cars. I, you know, you know I, I always, I, I joke about it, and I shouldn't, but uh, you know, you hear the old stories. There's 62 of the original 59 D-type yeah. Jaguars, and there's what 383 of the original 12 Hemi Cuda convertibles, and and just r- rarities, things like that, and. Uh, I just I I empathize with the people that have unfortunately bought something that was misrepresented, and that to me is a sad thing to happen in the hobby. And there are a lot of ways and sources, and we're going to talk to Bruce Shaw about it of how to protect yourself when you go into. The acquisition of a car. Now, I had a uh, rather famous car many years ago, and it cropped up again. How do I maybe cropped up's not the word? It surfaced again, and um, I had seen it once about ten years after I sold it, and I I knew the things to look at to determine because the car had fender extensions and a lot of changes done to it and uh, I knew exactly what to look for to determine that and the gentleman that was restoring the car came to me and uh, we talked about it and determined that it was actually the real car and traced it back and traced the history and he did an excellent job of doing that but it took him quite a while and it took him flying over the country and interviewing people I'm sure. He came here and interviewed me, and he went to Chicago and interviewed the the original people and the original driver of the race car. And uh, that's a key thing to do, especially today with cars in the six and seven and eight-figure amounts now. Now, when you get into GTOs, and I'm not sure, but I believe it's 39 of those were built, and I could be wrong, um... But there's been enough people around that know those cars and the history of them and the rarity that they can determine whether those cars are actually bona fide real cars. You know what, back in the, uh, I guess the 50s and the 60s, it was quite, I don't want to say a joke, but uh, I guess that's as good a word as any, about your odometer setting, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Every place in town, even to the point that jack it up, put it in reverse, and <laughs> well, that was with cables. And yeah, yeah. Um, well, guys went to jail for that. Yeah. Well, they did. You know, now in Texas, I can remember. I I can't remember the the year, but there there was, Texas had no law against it for a while, and then it got to be so prevalent. Right. That even good dealerships were doing it, you know, yeah. name brand dealerships. And so um, it, it would have had to have been like, mm, I'm saying, thinking 62, 63. I, I can't swear to it. Yeah. But Texas passed a law and made right. it illegal to right. do a, Yeah, well, the government did too. 
tamper with. It became with a federal autonomy. offense, and mm-hmm. I, I don't remember exactly when. But well, now with computers and all the electronics, you can't do it. Yeah, you can't get get away with it anymore. Um, oh, I bet somebody. Oh, somebody. Back. Yeah, somebody's going to figure out how to hack the thing yeah. and and go in and reset it. But uh, to me, it's not worth it. No, but no. It, and and these modern cars are so much better and last so much longer, and they're they're so much more durable than the old cars. But the other the other thing, uh, and I, I I've got a, another friend who has a Mustang and openly admits it's not a Shelby, but until you look at the plate, you think it's a Shelby, hmm. right down to the fog lights. Huh. On the Mustang, yeah yeah, 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 he's done a beautiful job of it, but he just likes it that way. So, uh, you know, those kind of things happen. And what what do they call them now? Not um, tradition cars, but there's somebody that builds replicas and replicates. Yeah, the, like the plastic cars. Continue, not continuation. The continuation cars seem to be legitimate. The Lister Noblies and the XKSS Jaguars, and now Aston Martin's going to do some DB4 GTs. <laughs> Shelby did it with the Cobras. Um, the, the first one I ever, the replicas. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the first one I ever saw or drove in, or this, uh, this guy. <laughs> I won't. I, I remember his name. I won't say his name, but he presented himself as a Delta pilot. But come to find out, he was a Delta mechanic. Oh, okay. <laughs> but he had bought a Bugatti kit. Oh. And put it on a or somehow Volkswagen uh, chassis. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, uh, you know. I, I'm not a car expert, but when I saw it, you know, I I, I told him I, I I said, you know, this isn't a Bugatti. No. Well, and he, he finally admitted it was a kit. But 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 here's the interesting thing. Now, there's a company in Argentina that will build a replica of a Bugatti Type 35 and an HC Alpha. Huh? They replicate them. Yeah. And. The guys that do own the originals of maybe there's like five or six or seven HC35 alphas or something, a lot of these guys don't run the factory engine, but they run a replica of the factory engine that a guy in England builds. And Crossway and Gardner replicated a couple of the Audi Grand Prix cars from pre-World War II, but we know what they are. And in Europe, it's much more stringent than here. And when they replicate something over there, they know it, and it depends upon whether the FIA will give them, you know, a, a certification for the car. You know, as long as someone explains to a novice like myself, if I went and, you know, unfortunately, right. I could be taken advantage of pretty easily. Um, but as long as somebody represent it, represents it for what it is, I don't think that's fraud. I don't have a problem with it, you know. Right. Uh, but if someone, you know, has a 1962 Impala with 12,000 miles on it, I might question it. 
Well, you can buy new bodies for them, probably. I know you can't for the Tri-5s, the 55, 6, and 7s. Yeah. You, you can get brand new bodies. Um, Brookville makes brand new bodies for Model A's. And the Model A Restorers Club apparently accepts them. Hmm. Um, and I could be wrong on that, but I know there was an Model A club or a Model A Restorers Club event up there at Brookville in Ohio at one time, and they toured the factory. You know, the one thing that, excuse me for interrupting, yeah. but the one thing about that is that, that they can they can make it look like it, they can paint it like it, they can do all these things like it, except for one thing. Yeah? The smell. Well, you never know. You know, <laughs> they can they can spray in old. Yeah. <laughs> so what those little trees are that hang from the mirrors on some cars. <laughs> well, anyway, there are some, how do I put it, nice replicas that replicate. And years ago, and not maybe that far back, Motorsport, Dennis Jenkinson wrote quite a thing because... Companies like Fraser Nash built a car that they called a Le Mans replica, and they raced a car at Le Mans, and then they did a production run of those cars, and they called them replicas. But it was built by the factory, not by an outside source. Like, we've got a guy here in Atlanta, Mr. Beck, that does a beautiful job with a 904. Uh, who can afford to buy a 904? And... Uh, those were pretty. I'm. I'm oh yeah, I'm I'm not love, big, I I can't get in and out of them anymore. I, I'm not a big Porsche fan. Yeah, the 904 was. Yeah, it was, was it was incredible. So, wh- guy like me, what do I do? I go to Mister Beck and say, okay, I can't afford a four cam motor, but there were some 904s with six cylinders built. I want you to build me an exact duplicate of a 904, and he can do it. And there's a cup. There's a company, in, in, I believe, in the UK that does the same thing. We're going to take a break on that note. We'll come back, and we should have uh, Bruce on. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking fraud. Oh, gee. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
And welcome back to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. We've got Mr. Bruce Shaw, Esquire, I might add, on the radio with us. Uh, he's from um, Philadelphia, I believe, correct, Bruce? Yes. The and city of brotherly love. Right. Brotherly love. And that, is that with a uh, 38 special, or is that? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Morning, Bruce. It's Jim Weber here. Morning. Is it snowing there? No. Okay. Like it, <laughs> wow. We're gonna have a heat heat wave. I think it's going to go up to thirty five or so. Oh, well, good. We'll, we'll send you some of our seventy degree weather for a price. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Bruce, I, I saw your ad in the AC, uh, AACA magazine, and and it struck me the word fraud. And um, we over the years we've been doing this show for uh, well over ten years now, twelve years now, and. Um, uh, we, off and on, we've talked about fraud, and and we all, well, I know Jim Jim Weber's uh, cleaner than than uh, Snow White and the Dwarfs, you know. But wow. some of us might not be quite as clean as Mr. Weber is. But I can mm. we can remember back in the fifties, uh, late fifties, sixties, you're selling a uh, used car, and that odometer might not. Exactly right, and and you could, you know, when you'd look at the, the odometer and the fourth digit in was a little out of sync, you might you might question uh, a little bit. But you know, as as far as fraud went, that that was about in the late fifties and sixties, to my knowledge. Well, there I take that back. There were some people that tried to sell wrecked cars that had been repaired as as never been in a wreck or whatever, and, and it pretty easy to catch. But the the biggest thing I think was the odometer reading on on cars, and that that was about the extent of fraud. But you've sort of carried it uh, into a very interesting thing with classic cars. And uh, with that being said, uh, Bruce Shaw, attorney. And you specialize in in uh, fraud on cars and so forth. How how did you come to decide that's what you wanted to specialize in, Bruce? Well, really, it came to me. I had a series of uh, speed shops back in the sixties and seventies, and we were well known on the East Coast here uh, with our uh, drag racing expertise, and we had a very exotic. Uh, machine shop where we used to build all the motors and then we had uh, installation base in the back where we used to put the cars together. Now this was and yours? This, this was, was back in the 60s and the 70s. And this was your shop though? This was uh, uh, my company that I started called Shaw's Speed Shops. Wow. wow. Okay. As a matter of fact uh, if you look at some of the car models you'll see our names on the back of some of the national record holders that we built over the over the years. I, I've, uh, just, I've just got to ask, how did you go from such an honorable profession to becoming an inter- <laughs> No, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> don't hang up. Don't hang up. <laughs> hey, Bruce, did Grumpy's Cars have your name on it? No, but we did... Uh, uh, Bill Jenkins was uh, about two towns away. Yeah. And we were the uh, uh, East Coast distributor for Crane Camps for 
where he, he used to race cranes used to sponsor him. Right. So all the camshafts, rock arms, push rods, lifters, everything came through our shop and then was uh, distributed to him. And uh, he kind of never liked that, that they wouldn't deal direct with him, even though he was sponsored by them. But uh, we got along pretty good with Jenkins, but he was an entity uh, all to himself. Yes, uh, yes, but, he was. Uh, but we were, shall we say, I can't say we were competitors, uh, but uh, when it came to secrets of making the car going faster, everybody kept their own secrets. Yeah. Mike, seriously speaking, were you an attorney when you started the shop, or did after you started the shop you became an attorney? No, I uh, actually uh, sold the shops in the uh, early 80s. We had three stores, and I sold the speed shops. And then I uh, started, uh, don't ask me why, but I started college, and... uh, then uh, became an attorney. I spent about seven years in um, uh, in my uh, under degree, and then my law degree, and then my uh, master's. And uh, my wife was patient enough and uh, uh, kept this going. Uh, and uh, then I started the law firm. And uh, I started getting these calls from everybody that had known of us, known from our uh, our speed shops. Hey, I have a problem with this car. Hey, I have a problem with this car. It doesn't seem to be right. Uh, this car looks like it was put together. Because what happened is back in the, uh, I would say, in the late 80s, 90s, the cars of the 60s and the 70s became increasingly valuable. And then people started taking, say, like a cheap six-cylinder Camaro and putting a high-performance motor in it and converting the car over to make it from a cheap six-cylinder Camaro to a uh, very limited uh, Z28 or uh, Super Sport, which is highly collectible and highly valuable and as the spread and these cars became more and more popular they became more and more uh, uh, we use the word counterfeited uh, where uh, especially like your 67 Corvette uh, 427 and your 70 the 72 Chevelle uh, 454s uh, and your Hemi Pudas and your six-pack mo- uh, Mopars. These cars are highly collectible, highly coveted, and highly counterfeited. So, um, uh, as, as people kept asking me, and one led to another, and then we started putting ads in the uh, Hot Rod magazines and on the web, and we now litigate from Maine to California. Uh, we have clients in Dubai, uh, Australia, Canada. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we've well, been involved in cases as far away as England, Italy. Wow. Bruce, I want to I want to commend you. And and the reason maybe this is a little strange, but 
You know, over the years, we've all unfortunately had to deal with some attorneys, or we've known of some attorneys, or this or that. And attorneys in general, well, I'd say across the board. Generally speaking, you take them a case. If I if if I took an attorney a case regarding my radio station, chances are that attorney hadn't ever handled a radio account in any kind of shape, form, or fashion. And to find a specialist uh, is is costly. But what I look at, you you are your own best expert. You've been there, done that, and I commend you for it. That is just fantastic, in my opinion, that... that uh, you can walk outside, or you may have a client walk in the door and say, I'm questioning this car. You can walk outside with him, look at it, and I'm sure in nine out of ten cases, you, you can decide on the spot whether your potential new client is worthy or not. And uh, I, I think that that's, you've been there, you've done that. I bet you've even had dirt under your fingernails at some point <laughs> or the other, or a little grease. Grease, yeah. Well, it's funny. I. Myself, personally, when we had these speed shops, you know, I probably worked on every uh, high-performance type of car made uh, during those years, during the 60s and the 70s. So uh, there isn't pretty much uh, any car that I haven't worked on or touched or has been in our shop. Um, that, and, that's incredible. Uh, we... Uh, uh, when we had those speed shops, um, we used to, you know, people that would come to Maple Grove or English Town or the big drag strips around the way, if they would break down, they would know to call us and one, two in the morning, we would open up and uh, work on their cars and repair them and get them back together if they broke something. Uh, and we worked on uh, many famous cars who have come to our area, like Dino Don Nicholson. Uh, the Ram Chargers, um, Jungle Jim Lieberman, Bill Strickland, Lou Arrington, yeah. uh, and just different cars when they broke down and they needed some repairs to race the next day. Uh, we would open up one, two in the morning and take the motor out, machine it, do whatever we had to do, put it back together, uh, help pull the transmission out of the rear, get the parts, fix it, put it back together. It was a, uh, a great time. Beautiful. I have a question. Let, let, let's say, um, and we'll just use an example, 67 Camaro Z28. So I bought the car. I bought a six-cylinder stick Camaro coupe in 67, and I drove it for a while, and I sold it in 70, and the guy said, oh, I'm going to make this into a Z28. So he goes out and orders a crate motor, the right crate motor, right gearbox or transmission, right rear end, replicates it, decals and everything. And then he sells it to somebody as his E28. And three owners later, at Scottsdale, it's sold as his E28. How do you go back through and prove that that was a six-cylinder stick Camaro after 40 years or 30 years? Um. That's that tough. is a uh, scenario that happens. Uh, uh, the other scenario is uh, where somebody builds a car and uh, claims from the 
very beginning that, hey, I built this car, but it's a clone. It's not real. It's a replica. They call them tribute cars. Right. And the person buys it, and then what happens is uh, he dies, and the estate sells it as a genuine car. Yeah. It, it looks just, they don't know any different, and the owner's dead. And these things do happen. They're unfortunate. And it is tough when you have to go back uh, two or three owners. And we've had that happen where it was not discovered until uh, uh, two, three, four years later. And uh, you're right. Nobody wants to own up. Nobody wants to uh, face this. And uh, uh, it, 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 it's difficult. Yeah. When you say, how do you do it, you you know, you just start backtracking. Okay. And, uh, uh, sometimes there's a blank link in the middle uh, of, of what you're trying to backtrack. So it's very difficult. Bruce, I've got to stop you there. We've got to take a break. But when we come back, I want to ask, uh, it, from a civil lawsuit or from a legal legality of that, where does that place the individual if he's trying to sell it or if the estate's trying to sell it? And uh, we're going to be back with Bruce Shaw right after a quick break. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. My name is Kyle Hayes, a motorsports student at Alfred State College. Every year, Alfred State students compete in the Great Race, which is a cross-country time endurance rally for vintage vehicles. As you can imagine, it's pretty costly. I'm asking for your help. Your donation can make it possible for these students to live their passion and promote the vintage automobile industry. Please visit our site at give.alfredstate.edu and search Great Race to learn more and help us reach our goal. Thank you. 45 years of experience is behind the most trusted name in auto transportation. Passport Transport, the first and finest today. That's why Passport Transport is the preferred auto transport for major auto manufacturers, concours, museums, tours, and collectors, and should be your choice from across the state to across the country. When you have the need, go to PassportTransport.com and enjoy the peace of mind referenced experience will give you. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the Classic Car Show. Uh, Mr. Rinaldo is taking a day off. I, I guess I'll still have to pay him, but he's taking the day off. Jim Weber's here, and we've got an excellent guest. Uh, yes. You know, we can either talk about fraud with with Bruce, or we could talk about just cars in general with yeah. him. And I think oh, that's... Yeah. Well, I, I think we ought to have him back just to talk about Shaw's Speed Shop. Someday. I think so. Yeah, because just all the guys he's worked with. Anyway, go ahead, David. You had a question, too, for Bruce. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we, we Jim Weber, we've, we know he's a little shady, so he's taking this Camaro. <laughs> and, and it might not be exactly what it shows on the outside these days. So, and he, he croaks, and his estate gets it, and they start sounding. Where, where does... Legal and civil and penalty and where does all of that fit into the mix? Well, there's 
civil, and then there's criminal. And uh, uh, really depending on the uh, intent of the seller. If an estate gets a car uh, and they uh, advertise it as genuine, they're on the hook. Now, it's not criminal because it wasn't intentional, but it's still they're still liable. And the person that bought the car from the estate, he only has to go back to the estate. The estate then has to go back uh, to where uh, the deceased had bought it, this or that, and trying to uh, uh, trying to uh, uh, straighten it out. Go back. Uh, sometimes, like you say, one, two, three owners uh, prior. But in general, if you advertise a car as such, whatever it is, then you are on the hook for it. You can't say, "Well, that's what I was told." You can't rely. You can't say that. You have to have your own truthful statements about the car. Well, what about so, a disclaimer in your ad? Okay, if there is a disclaimer in the ad that we, we think that the car is real, but you should make your own inspection, and we're selling the car as is, where is, and we are not selling it as authentic. And they make that clear, not in a little fine print, but they make it clear, well, then uh, it would be hard to hold them liable. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, that's not Usually, that at least cases we get uh, are that uh, the people uh, have uh, expressed affirmatively that this car is original, uh, this car is numbers matching, which is a term that's been uh, really uh, 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 turned around on its head. Uh, but they use, you know, uh, survivor numbers matching, original authentic and uh, uh, these terms all mean to the general public that the car is original that the car is the way it came from the factory so it's uh, the best thing is to like you say to qualify anything you say uh, that uh, you it, it seems that it is but you have to make your own independent decision before you buy the car, and we're not selling it as original. Okay. Um, with maker's plates today, obviously there are some people that are ma- making maker's plates, for lack of a better way of putting it, and it's pretty hard. They're getting so good at it that it's pretty hard to determine. You know, they even age them. Is my understanding, and, and yeah, you seem numbers. to know a lot yeah. about this, Jim. Yeah, there's there's yeah. a lot of counterfeiting of documentation, and with the printers, copiers being so uh, sophisticated now, uh, that it is um, very hard sometimes uh, when they come up with these uh, documents, uh, these uh, work orders found under the seats and the uh, copies of uh, original bills of sale and things like that. Uh, It's very hard to to determine whether or not 
the uh, the document or the trim tag or the bin tag is real. Yeah. Um, and, and it's an ongoing, and it's not rocket science, but it's 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 just uh, we have experts that have tracked different cars, different VIN numbers for those cars, uh, different uh, uh, block stampings for those cars, uh, for each car. We have experts uh, that we use for, in other words, I should say every expert's only good at usually one type of car. Right. Like 65 to 67 Corvette, 67 to 69 Camaro. 70 Chevelles, 70, 72 Chevelles. But we have experts that we use, uh, and uh, uh, um, but it's not a, a patent science. Bruce, it's just their experience over the years. Speaking of over the years, what is the strangest, craziest case that you've ever handled? If, if you can relate the, a story like that. Well, I'll tell you one of the funniest cases in the beginning, and it was kind of strange when you hear this, but uh, I was involved in a uh, counterfeit, a fake Hemi Cuda, 70 Hemi Cuda. And uh, um, the case was one of the first cases that I ever did. And I was dealing with an attorney up in New York who was representing the seller of the Hamikuda. And we were suing them because the car was uh, counterfeit. Uh, as in going along in the very beginning stages, uh, the lawyer says, well, what are your client's damages? Did, did he have to go to the hospital? Or uh, what, what are his damages? And I said, what are you talking about a hospital? Well, what do you mean? For his hemorrhoids? I said, no, a Hemi, a Hemi is a motor in a Mopar. It has nothing to do with hemorrhoids. She thought that, that this case that we were suing because our buyer got hemorrhoids I'm riding in the car. <laughs> obviously, obviously, the, the opposing attorney did not have dirty fingernails. <laughs> so uh, sometimes you do find uh, attorneys that, shall uh, uh, we say, aren't specialized in what they're doing. Uh, they're, they're called scrupulous. <laughs> Bruce, let me let me ask uh, again. Using Jim Weber as, as an oh, example. That he might do something that would be questionable, but would, do you find that that someone that would do that, do they have targets? Uh, the first thing that came to mind is is a rich movie star that decided they want to buy a X Y Z or whatever, and uh, Jim latches on. Do you find do you find targets for for the uh, less than uh, reputable folks uh, looking to sell a a uh, replica or, or, or forged fraudulent car? Well, you know, when you say uh, a target for selling these cars, um, the, they, uh, these cars, um, I mean, there are like movie stars and people that 
buy these cars, doctors, uh, and things like that that are wealthy and that they, they hear that these are good investments and they uh, buy them. Uh, but the market is so, especially with the Internet, and these cars come on the Internet, everybody uh, gets a chance to look at them and somebody will tell somebody, I saw this car on the Internet. Uh, or, uh, uh, but I, I mean, I guess that there are people that make up these cars and then target uh, people like movie stores. I haven't really been involved like that as much as I've been involved with uh, uh, pretty much, uh, I don't want to say normal everyday people, but say people of upper income. Uh, but most of these people love these cars. Uh, most of these people that want these cars uh, are people that love these cars and couldn't afford them when they were kids, when they first came out. And um, uh, so there's a broad market out there uh, with all the, uh, 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 you know, just the social medias and uh, uh, the technology to advertise something, you know, which, of course, when we were back in the 60s and the 70s, you put a small postage stamp ad in the back of your local newspaper. Mm-hmm. Hope that you found somebody. Yeah. Do you, do you ever get uh, Do you ever get the seller coming to you prior to listing the car and saying, Bruce, I want to make sure I'm crossing my T's and dotting my I's, or, or does it always happen to be the buyer that comes to you and say, I think I just got had? So do you have the seller coming to well, you first ever? yes. I mean, we have had, uh, we represent uh, almost 100% buyers. We don't represent uh, uh, sellers unless I feel that they're being, we have represented some sellers, but not like dealerships and things like that. We've been asked by many dealerships to represent them, sort of be a uh, attorney uh, of record. But uh, I've stayed away from that and focused mostly on representing the buyers because they're the ones that, uh, you know, they take the hit. Yeah, yeah, and and it, it, I want to talk about auctions for a minute and auction fever and uh, and alcohol and things like that. Do you run into a lot of this today with the auctions and buyers' well, remorse? Um, the you know we have a different take on on auctions. Uh, I have found for the most part, that uh, the auctions, and especially the the bigger auctions, are all as honest as they can be. Good. And uh, as reputable as they can be. What it is is that these sellers bring these cars into the auction and they put down uh, on their descriptions of of what they're going to sell. In other words, on their... The sellers, they have an intake sheet. Most auctions have an intake sheet where you have to put down and describe your car. Well, that's what the auction uses when they auction the car off. But you can't expect an auction to verify every car 
that's sold there. They don't own them. They've never seen them before. And um, so I think unfairly, auctions have taken a rap for uh, everything that goes wrong when um, it's not really their fault. They're just a medium. They're just... Uh, uh, have these cars uh, they're brought to them by sellers mm-hmm. and sort out by buyers well and, and, and um, I, uh, you know that you can't possibly expect an auction to uh, really be held liable okay. for uh, most of I don't want to say most I mean all but most of the problems that happen at an auction are pretty much because the seller has not stated the car correctly okay. on purpose, intentionally. Yeah. Bruce, would it be a fair statement for someone that's getting into the hobby or coming back into the hobby to say you can't have too much paperwork on what you're buying or what you're trying to sell? I mean, going back to from oil changes to the three previous owners to whatever other paperwork you might be able to obtain. But you you just can't honestly have too much paperwork on a car. Right. The documentation is uh, the uh, best part of uh, buying the car. Uh, before you even examine the car, uh, examining the paperwork, uh, and uh, you get to kick that around, you get to... Uh, uh, take copies of it and send it to experts to see what they think of the paperwork. And um, yeah, you can never have enough uh, paperwork. But unfortunately, uh, as I said before, a lot of the paperwork is now counterfeit. It's doc. It's it's forged. Um, and uh, uh, with the uh, scanners and the copiers that they have now, you can move things around. And uh, uh, it's. Uh, you know, and, it, and it's uh, certainly a big part of the of these. Um, Bruce, uh, Bruce, if you can't hold that thought, we got to uh, one paying attention to the clock. We got to take a hard break. We'll be back on the Classic Car Show with Bruce Shaw right after this. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about anti-car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. Your auto love and investment demands the best, and for 45 years, Passport Transport has been meeting those demands. From manufacturers to the one-car collectors and all other facets of the auto industry and antique auto hobby. The first and the finest with unequaled service and peace of mind. Passport Transport, your auto transportation company. Contact PassportTransport.com with your need today. Passport Transport. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And welcome back to the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. We've got Mr. Bruce Shaw. He's an attorney expert on uh, fraud in the classic car hobby slash business. And uh, we want to thank Bruce for being on with us today. And, uh, and by the way, I, if... Uh, 
you're about to buy a car or have a question about a car that you've bought, uh, get a hold of Bruce. Uh, if you have a question or need some help with paperwork or whatever, it's Bruce Shaw and shawlaws.com. His telephone number, if you've got your pen and paper ready, is 215-657-2377. Uh, you can find his ad in the AACA magazine. And uh, Bruce, this has just been an absolute delight and very informative. And, uh, you know, like I said, I want to want to talk later in the, uh, next week and, and certainly... If it's okay with you, have you back on many, many times in the future? Because I'm, I'm sure things change almost on a, I don't want to say daily basis, but you probably see things that in the in the industry that have been going on for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden you get something that son of a gun, I've never seen this before. Um, yes, uh, what has been propping up a lot, and. Uh, is uh, these Montana LLCs. Um, I would say about a year or two ago, uh, there were these advertisements where you pay no sales tax, list your car in Montana. Uh, And uh, so I uh, didn't think too much of it, and then I started seeing it, especially in Pennsylvania where I live, at some of these car shows, uh, these Ferraris and um, uh, just different uh, uh, Jaguars and things, older cars, and they have these Montana license plates on them. And then I was putting two to two to get two and two together, where what they're doing is they're uh, throughout the United States. They are getting and forming an LLC in Montana, limited liability company. And when they, Montana has no sales tax on cars. Hmm. So what they do is they buy a car in Pennsylvania, which has a 6% sales tax on these cars. But they buy it in Pennsylvania, and uh, they, uh, but they have the ownership in Montana. So the title goes to a Montana LLC, and then apparently they get license plates in Montana, and they drive them around here in, uh, say, Pennsylvania. Well, this happens in all 50 states, what they're doing. There's only one problem with that, and that is that uh, when you're evading sales tax, in general, any tax evasion is unlawful um, and uh, they uh, take these LLCs and they don't pay any sales tax but most states now have incorporated started a use tax so that it, which happens to mirror the sales tax so that if you buy a car out of state you don't pay sales tax on it you bring that car back into the state, your state, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, probably Georgia, Delaware, whatever, you have to pay a use tax because you're using that car in the state. You're using it for your collection. You're using it for your garage. You're using it to go to car shows. So, 
that's very interesting because we're still uh, liable for that uh, sales tax, and it's fraudulent to uh, try and escape a uh, tax, a legitimate tax. I, I bought a car in Illinois recently, and they charged, and, and you know all the paperwork and everything, but they charged, and I paid the Georgia sales tax on it. And, to, and the, because when I went to get my plates, I had to show them that I'd paid the paid the Georgia sales tax yeah. on it. Uh, but you took delivery of your car in Georgia. You didn't yeah. pick it up in no, Illinois. No, I didn't no. pick it up. No. Uh, what what happens, Bruce? Let's say I have a house in Montana, and I buy a car in Philadelphia from Algar, maybe, and and ship it to Montana and take delivery of it up there. Is that legitimate? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, if you have property rights or you have something that really shows that you have a a interest in uh, Montana, I suppose you can get away with it uh, as long as you, shall we say, uh, possibly keep the car in Montana. You, you don't have a, have but to live in you, Montana, right? If you if you have a Montana address and uh, you live in Pennsylvania and your primary residence is Pennsylvania. Um, uh, you know, and uh, every case is different, but in general, I would say that you're going to be affected by that use tax. Okay. Um, All right. That, uh, that's a valid point. The, the other thing that's a problem with these LLCs, and then I'll, uh, well, let me say this. The, when people now what they're doing is, say they have a fraudulent car, well, they get it registered as a Montana car. And then they sell it, uh, you know, either private or auction or Internet. And the person buys it and discovers that the car is uh, counterfeit or something's wrong with it six months later. Well, when you go to sue the person, you talk to the guy in Georgia. The car came from Georgia, but it has a Montana LLC title. Well, where do you sue? can only sue... Um, in general, in Montana. And the guy doesn't own anything in Montana. The LLC is, is uh, empty. Well, There's uh, nothing in there. Bruce, can so I interrupt you one second? Can I interrupt you one second? At what yeah. point does this become federal when you've crossed state lines? Well, as soon as you cross state lines, uh, I'm sure uh, just in general that there's uh, certain laws that are that are broken. Uh, you know, when you talk about interstate or intrastate uh, dealings, but in general, uh, I don't think that the federal government they've got more important things to do than worry about kids' uh, <laughs> hobby cars and. Um, uh, in general, what we have found is that the, uh, you know, the governmental agencies really, uh, they're taxed, uh, they're always on budget, and uh, uh, they would much rather help uh, somebody, a, uh, a poor family that spent their last $7,000 to have their, black, uh, their driveway blacktop and got ripped off. They'd much rather... Uh, take a case like that, then uh, a poor little rich kid that 
got ripped off on his Z28 Camaro. That's interesting. Um, I want another question. Let's say I buy a car, and and it's a steel-bodied car, and I neglect to take a magnet, and I neglect to read the thickness of the paint. And six months later, all of a sudden, the Bondo's fallen out of the uh, rocker panels and things. Is there any uh, retribution to something like that going back to the seller? Well, you know, time is an enemy of these, all these cases. The longer right. it takes to discover it, um, and it depends. Uh, so it it it, weaken, it always weakens your case and weakens your recovery against uh, somebody. The other thing is that it all depends on how the car was described mm-hmm. and how the car was advertised. It was advertised that it was never hit in no body work. Yes, you have a case. But in general, if it wasn't advertised like that, um, there's a certain amount of body work as cars get older. You should should be expecting they're like that. And that it's up to you to uh, look at it and examine it before you buy it, especially an older car. Bruce, so we- if something falls out six months from now, I mean, these... These cars aren't guaranteed, especially these older cars. These cars aren't guaranteed five years, 50,000 miles. <laughs> right. I mean, these are these are cars, and people don't realize that. You know, I had so many people that uh, uh, they want this car because when, uh, when they were a kid, and they get into one of these cars like a 60 Corvette with no power steering, no power brakes, no emission controls, and they, they get behind the wheel, and they see how horribly they drive and are a horrible horrible roadworthiness right as compared to uh you know they just get out of their bmw <laughs> uh, and what i'm saying is that i think so many people are disillusioned uh on these uh muscle cars and uh, uh different cars as to i mean they look beautiful and they're neat but they sure uh, are the drivability and the dependability of them is uh, as as compared to a, a new Chevy or a BMW or a new Ford Escort. It's it's, it's just like night and day. Bruce, I, Bruce, I got I got to stop you there. We're running out of time. I want to thank you, Bruce Shaw, and uh, Bruce, if you don't mind, I want to have you back on many times in the future and talking about cars. Uh, up and down the gambit from fraud and what you do. If you need a good attorney that's in and knows cars, it's Bruce Shaw. He's in uh, Pennsylvania. His number is 215-657-2377, or you can go to his website, shawlaws.com, and contact him. And, Bruce, again, thank you very much. You've been listening to America's Web Radio and the Classic Car Show. We'll be back next week with more. Thanks again, Bruce. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Bruce. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.